Welcome to Modern Career. I'm your host, Mary Humiston. You may be thinking about changing, advancing, or even reinventing your career. We want to help you do that and live your full potential. In each episode, I cover work and career topics, leveraging my 30 plus years of global HR leadership and through interviews with other career experts and professionals from around the world. Subscribe today and visit modern-career.com for blog posts, career stories, career coaching and workshops, and more. Let's jump into our next episode. Welcome to the next in our Leadership Profile series. Our guest today is Eva Sage-Gavin. Eva is the Senior Managing Director of the Talent and Organization Practice at Accenture, helping companies evolve their workforces to innovate, unlock human potential, and drive transformation. Eva is a former Chief Human Resources Officer and has served in top HR and C-suite leadership roles at many of the world's best-known Fortune 500 companies, including PepsiCo, the Walt Disney Company, and Gap Inc. Eva was also a senior advisor to the Boston Consulting Group and the G100 Network and was the first woman to serve on a public technology company board. She is currently an executive in residence at Cornell School of Industrial and Labor Relations and Santa Clara University's Levy School of Business. Eva has many honors, among them just to name a few, the National Association of Corporate Directors named Eva one of the most influential leaders in corporate boardroom governance. The Silicon Republic named Eva as a top 16 future of work influencer. HR executive named her as a top 100 HR tech influencer. And Eva is also the recipient of Cornell University's ILR School William B. Grote Award for Lifetime Achievement in Human Resources. Thank you so much, Eva, for joining us today and for sharing insights with us. Mary, it is such a pleasure to be here with you, and thanks for that gracious introduction. You have had an amazing career to date. I know you've got an amazing career still ahead. Wow is all I can say. It's hard to even know where to start, but an idea I had was maybe you could share with us, is there, as you look through the journey, a key decision point or a pivot that you've made You've been a head of HR, you've been in your own consulting practice, and you've been a general manager of a consulting practice in a large company. You've done so many things, and clearly there were pivots and decision points. Share with us one in the how, the why, and the outcome, if you would. Mary, I so appreciate that question because sometimes when you've got four decades of experience, it's often hard to pick that one, but It prompted me to think about the importance of diversity of experience, and there was a call I made very early on that has served me well and might be helpful to others who are thinking through these choices, and that was to be in the fabric of the business serving clients. So, you know, I started off in technology and found my way out to the valley here, Silicon Valley, and I decided to leave a fast track in human resources out of Cornell and the Xerox program and go into technology sales. It was the best decision I ever made, Mary. And there were three reasons why. Number one, you um, get feedback every day from clients. That ability to listen, to put yourself in the client's shoes and to problem solve is a gift that's been incredibly important. The second is to be at the heart of how revenue is generated 
and to understand at various levels in your career what CEOs and C-suite executives are up against by the importance of being on that front line, serving a client. That has served me well. And I've come back to that principle of as much as I love my HR roots and they are pervasive, what I particularly appreciate is being business first and who are we serving? How do we grow and thrive? And then how do we make sure people have the ability to understand the business dynamics and stay connected with serving patients, clients, or customers? I love that. I guess it also allowed you to be both functional and operational and have choice and made you even a stronger functional lead. I really love that, Eva. When this decision point and when this pivot and inspiration came to you, what do you think it was as you think about your own traits or who you are that allowed you to see that this really made sense? What do you relate that to? I'm a huge fan of all the tools available to us on self-assessment, self-awareness. And for years, I've tried to lead from the front. So one of the things that pops for me, Mary, is a second theme. Business first is core theme one. Second theme is lifelong learning. And this idea of taking advantage of lifelong learning for things that may not seem obvious at the time. So I remember when I was doing the technology work, a lot of training on system sales, major account management, I learned a lot of skills about communications. I never thought I would use those. So you can imagine years later when I actually leaned in to run internal communications for Disney consumer products. And ultimately at Gap Inc., when my role became head of corporate affairs and I was running communications, government relations, and all of our work on sustainability, every day I was thankful for that training on the art of communication that I got through lifelong learning. I'm so appreciative of that. That is one of my passions inside and outside of work is access to learning is the key to resiliency and the key to opportunity. And my principle is not just to have it for myself, for my team and my company, but also to open the doors to others to create their own resiliency. And that's what I do with my work I'm sure we'll talk about partnering with universities and other organizations on skills. I love that because what I'm hearing too is you've got to make it happen and reach out for it as well. And the key to it being part of your resiliency, I really love because it is the more ready you are, the more capable, the more skilled you feel, the more resilient you'll be. And I love your point that it isn't all just for now. It's what you might need and what can help you as you look forward as well even if you don't see it. (laughs) The other thing is nurturing your networks. There are things that you learn in each of these rotations and phases. And maybe years later, you're assuming a new or expanded role as a general manager. We're only as strong as our networks. And that would probably be my third big learning principle is networks need care. They're not transactions, they're relationships. They're particularly challenging when you don't have all of the physical connections that we depend on to nurture relationships. You've got to give and if you expect to receive in mutually beneficial ways. And I have hundreds of examples how someone I met when I was doing that sales rotation ended up years later being a mentor, a partner, an acquisition. And that relationship experience of how we learned and grew together and had mutually beneficial outcomes is all part of our heritage and our reputations. I love it. And I think sometimes we used to think of it as 
more of a take. So your point about it's a give and give, and then you do mutually benefit at some point. That's a very transformational way of thinking about it. Eva, what's something else you may have learned through your experience to date or taken advantage of that you would say really helped you in your own career experience? The idea of taking risk and diversity of experience may be best illustrated by I was asked to teach a freshman labor history class because they were looking to make it more dynamic. And I said, nice to see everybody, class of 80, I'm a millennial wannabe. And the class started laughing hysterically and reminded me that I was similar in age to their mothers or fathers, which I greatly appreciated. But I laughed and I said, so how many of you think you're going to have more than three careers, six? And we kept doing the hands. And how many times do you think you're going to move around? And we kept doing the hands. I said, so let me give you two numbers, 17 relocations, six global corporations, owned my own business three boards and many academic partnerships that I cherish. What does that sound like to you? And they said, wow, that sounds like a millennial. You get it. And I said, and when I was crafting this path with a North Star, it was non-traditional. And in some cases, it caused people to ask, well, what's your story here? Are you making changes with a plan in mind? Is it opportunistic? Are you following a partner or a spouse? And so crafting your story about what is your strategy, what are you delivering in each of those rotations, and what's the benefit to others. And being able to put that in simple, clear words is so, so important. So I think that was one of my takeaways that we often talk about diversity, Mary, and we sometimes think of it in traditional ways. Let's make sure we have an inclusive team, inclusive questions, inclusive culture. But I'm actually a huge proponent of diversity of experience to create Mm -hmm. resiliency. Now, would I do 17 relos again? Probably (laughs) not. But in some cases, the diversity of experience was also the desire to have a family life. I'm now married 31 years, and I have an incredible 26-year-old daughter. Family's extremely close. Some of those moves were driven by my career, and some of those moves were driven by my husband's. And as late as yesterday, he told me on the grand 31-year scorecard, it's been a very good deal. Oh, that's awesome. And Eva, I can really relate. I think if you're a learner, and that's clearly what you're not only advocating, but you're clearly a learner and embrace that, that diversity of experience can come a bit more naturally. But it sounds like you mixed up industries, functions, geographic experience, and your underpinning message there is that gives you choice. It gives you more opportunity and it makes you more resilient. And it's a brilliant thing given the world ahead. I'm curious, just as we're talking about this, do you think with all that we've been through in the past couple of years, will that change, do you think? I mean, 17 reloads and living that kind of lifestyle moving around, is that tempering a bit or are you still seeing that at the same height as it was, if I put it that way? I feel sometimes so fortunate that I get to test difficult things on myself and Mm -hmm. fail, Mary, and learn. And then I have the benefit of that experience in trying to help others find their path. So I think it's hard to say there have been gifts from this pandemic, but if there's been certainly learnings, the importance of purpose, the importance of family, and the importance of health. When everything is at risk for everyone in the world, 
it becomes really clear what you value, who you are, what you stand for, and who you love. Mm -hmm. And what I really appreciate about that is the ability to talk with sincerity and authenticity. And what I also appreciate now on my analytics side is there is a chance right now for more social innovation than in Mm -hmm. any point in our lifetimes. I have the privilege of teaching a CHRO Academy with a couple of colleagues in a few weeks. And I think that invitation to greatness is what excites me more than anything. The reason I'm in classrooms, and this is how I donate my time, is because I learn from participants every class. Whether it's freshman labor history at Cornell University or Santa Clara, the corporate board director program for diverse board directors, I mentored a woman who's an expert in green energy. What an incredible experience for both of us. And I'm preparing for this. And this idea, when you stand up and you ask someone to join you in any way as an employee, a colleague, a partner, a board director, what's the meaning you'd be providing through your collaboration? How would we have a mutually beneficial outcome? And what are you asking of the person? I think the amount of mobility we're seeing where people are saying the equation is not delivering against that core that's important to me and my family will cause us to be at our best or we won't be able to hold the talent we need to move forward and others will and they will thrive. I completely agree with you, Eve. I think it's an exciting time because this amount of change and disruption will net us some very positive things for the workplace, for the workforce, and it will differentiate great employers. You mentioned this 17 relocations. We could say you're also in the Guinness Book of World Records, I think. It sounds like an awful lot. What learnings did you have that you might share tips on how did you manage a 31-year marriage and family and 17 relos? Anything you'd share? I'm sure it was not easy and it was all a piece of cake, but what might you point out or share as many often, of course, face that same kind of complexity? These are incredibly tough calls, being transparent and authentic that looking at it over a long view versus looking at it at the exact situation at that moment in time and looking at horizons of every three to five years, what would great look like for our marriage, for our family? And setting really a North Star, just like we set business strategic goals, some families are more formal, we're informal, but great would look like that we are focused on this in the next phase. I love giving practical examples for someone's listening, Mary, because theory doesn't help as much as tough Mm -hmm. choices. So Mm -hmm. we get married a little bit later. We desperately wanted to have a child. We faced a lot of challenges, which I've been open in many forums. And my husband looked at me in those years and said, if we do have a child, let's focus on that first year of that child's life thing, bring everything we have as parents. If everyone had that support, wouldn't it be amazing? And guess what? We had our beautiful daughter in 1995. PepsiCo promoted me within 48 hours of delivery to a vice president, which is a big deal for me. But I had to relocate to Irvine from Northern Cal, where my husband's entire family was welcoming this long-awaited child. What choice would you make? The easy choice would have been to stay put, cherish this child, surrounded by the 40 family members, and have unlimited babysitters and childcare. That's actually not the choice we made because I was at a pivotal point in my career, which sometimes our biological family calendars don't line up with these huge accelerating points when we 
have a chance to be a senior managing director or a VP or title of your choice. Here's what we did. My husband walked into his law firm, resigned. He said, I'm going to help my wife take this VP role at PepsiCo. I'm going to relocate with her and the baby to Southern Cal, and I'm going to take one year off. And he did. And that day, Mary, was the day that of our whole family vision and our dreams, that our greatest dream was realized. And we learned more about each other and the willingness to put the family first. I cannot tell you what a powerful change that was. Not every family can afford to do that. I'm not suggesting that's a choice you should make. But at various points, the idea that you're there for good and bad for this moment when there's acceleration, this moment when one of you is facing a critical illness, there is a foundational element there that has fueled our 31 years. And then the only other point I'd make of unexpected learnings is my husband became familiar with being an only for the first time in his life. He ended up being so clear and empathetic to what individuals face that are a non-traditional parent in 1995 that he was actually interviewed by Fortune magazine when they did an article in 2002 on trophy husbands who had chosen this path. Did you say an only? He became an only, so he would show up at Gymboree and be the only dad there. He was actually excused from mom's groups because they weren't parent groups, they were mom's groups. And people didn't feel comfortable with a six foot three gentleman there with a little tiny baby girl. It got to a point, Mary, where he had to go from supermarket to supermarket because he wasn't welcome, because people could not figure out why a man would be taking care of a daughter full time when he obviously had had an amazing law firm job. So we have shared our story many times about the trade-offs over 30 years. Years later, when my dream showed up and it would have meant leaving my husband and at that time, four-year-old daughter, I wanted that job more than anything, Mary. He looked at me and said, here would be the trade-offs for our daughter. I chose to pass. It stung for a minute. Every day, I'm so thankful that the choices that we made were the right long-term calls. Even if in the short term, my career was up, his career was up, we never swayed from what's best for our family in the bigger picture. And let's Mm. make the right call because the family's permanent. That was really powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that. On some regards, it's hard to think back to that time, even though we have so far still to go. You are really passionate about lifelong learning and development and diversity and true belonging. And you are also currently a faculty member at Santa Clara's Board Ready program, which is amazing, that prepares women and diverse candidates for board opportunities in the future, which is so important because how do you get there if you don't have any background or experience and all that we can do is phenomenal. Tell us about that passion and what you're seeing and experiencing in this space. I mentioned earlier there's themes of lifelong learning is key to resiliency, but so is access to opportunity and the two do go hand in hand. So this passion for service and learning was activated in the earliest years. My mom was a first grade teacher. My aunt and my mom attended Emmanuel College in Boston, and my aunt became the first year-round teacher on Martha's Vineyard. So I had this incredible role models and did grow up in a single-parent family, and seeing 
their first two out of seven children to get to go to college. And what they did with that was just so inspiring. I also saw the guidance my mom gave me when I was going through assessing universities. And she said, these skills that have been identified by the self-assessments one takes, here are the things you're great at. Let's look at what the market will predict will be most valuable in 1980 and see if they line up. So she didn't know it, Mary, but she was being an HR chief back in those early years. And that's what led me to Cornell. Well, let me dial back, though, to an experience I had. I was recruiting for Xerox, and Emanuel College invited me to help on career preparation for students who were not successful in interviews. I used all the skills that I'd been trained on at Xerox, which were immense, and was able to increase the acceptance rate and offers for graduating students. So the board asked me to join as the junior advisor. It's my first exposure to boards, to governance, and to transferring knowledge so people could get jobs they desperately wanted. Mm-hmm. And it happened to be an all-women's school. I was hooked from that day on that one person in her 20s could work with a board and work with mm-hmm. students and make change. In some cases, one person at a time, but it was so successful it lived on after I left and became the career advisory board. One of my themes has not been just to blaze a trail. It's been basically to crack open doors and bring people with you so your legacy continues to pay it forward, even when you've moved on to tackle another challenge. Amazing. In all your diversity of experience, you've worked with so many different leaders all over the globe. What are some of the characteristics that you might call out that make someone a really great leader in the context that we are in today? I've spent a lot of time thinking about researching, and I've certainly seen my share of seating, succession plans, rotations. I think this, again, pandemic has given me and many of us visibility to leadership in the most challenging of times. So we often talk about that many of our leaders are trained in the hard sciences, right? Mm -hmm. And many of the things that prepare us for leadership experience, perhaps advanced education, talk about budgets and planning and strategy and performance. That other side, we often call it the soft skills, but I think there's been so much innovation about empathy, compassion, connection. And if there was one word you made me pick, I would use the word listening with a big L. Listening in a digital first environment where everyone you may have hired in the last 18 months has never met you, never had a meal with you, never had a beverage with you, and inspiring them, connecting with them, understanding the challenges they might be facing. You can be great at management science if you don't have that ability to listen to their whole authentic self, connect, and guide you're not going to be successful as a leader. You might be good for a while, but at the most senior levels, you've really got to connect people with their passion and their mission. And that's hard to do in a digital first environment. It's hard to do in a physical presence environment. And the greatest leaders have that social science side, compassion, empathy, listening. You are very open and you show in your stories your empathy as well. Do you think that's just natural or have you also developed that over time? Is that something that if that's not a strength of someone or people who like both of us grew up in a more command and control world that you can grow in as well? 
It's such a good question because I do spend a lot of time in the old style of leadership development, which is what are my weaknesses and how do I address them? I love our work in leadership on what I call strengths-based and how powerful those are. And I often talk with C-suites and boards about the composition of a team. You and I might have a natural deep listening skill, intuitive. We might have that empathy, compassion. We may also have life experience that have brought even more depth to that. My husband's experience of being a lead parent, literally her childcare for a year with no help, it changed him forever. And I've never seen a father-daughter closer, and that's hard to believe. Those are life skills that we bring in. So if I see someone for whom they haven't had that life skill set, they've been in a very different experience profile, and they have unbelievable analytic strengths, I don't try to make them who they're not. But I often will say, who on your team can partner with you on team leadership? Who can help you see things that wouldn't be obvious to you? How do we build a coalition, a collaboration, a mentorship, a network for you so your blind spots are covered, not because we're fixing your weakness, because the strength of this team will be your analytics are really needed, and so are Mary's intuitive, compassion, empathy skills. And by the way, don't always assume that they fall on gender diversity lines. That would be one other point I would make. The stereotype is persons like this are X and persons like that are Y or CHROs are always like this and CFOs are always like that. Not true. Mm -hmm. And one point I would make is that many individuals come to work masked where they may have compassion, empathy, and intuition. But if they are an only in an environment which they perceive as high risk, they may not feel safe or comfortable to let that strength emerge. And I will tell you, Mary, it took many years being the only in tech as a woman where I felt I could be the one who raised her hand and said, we could do that. We will lose the hearts and minds or up to 30% of our employees will go over this. Think of the best leaders you've ever worked with. There was an element of transparency and being human, no matter what their strengths were, that made people want to follow them. Spot on, Eva. I'm curious as well, as you look back, is there anything that comes to mind that you say, oh, I wish I had done that, or I wish I'd experienced that, or is there a coulda, woulda, shoulda? Oh, Mary, there's so many. But one that's really precious is a theme you've been so wonderful about, lifelong learning and resiliency. I enrolled in grad school seven times. Wait, what do you mean? You you enrolled seven times? <laughs> Coming up through, we had tuition assistance. I wanted to get my MBA. Uh, I was passionate it, yeah. yep. about it. I learned, as many learn, credits don't transfer. Uh, I was moving very quickly. My first experience with Xerox is every six months, I rotated to a new assignment while my development was extraordinary, it was impossible to stay enrolled. And we didn't have the online courses we have now. I have said repeatedly to my family, I will get that master's or more sometime. Part of my passion for working with universities is I literally am enrolled in executive education every single year on some new dimension of learning. And it's my way of having kind of a lifelong master's degree. I love to finish it. I feel so strongly, Mary, that my daughter is at a tech company in M&A, and she's in her executive MBA program. She's mm. finished her first year. The other thing I wish I'd known is I didn't understand timing and how important it would have been for me to try to get that done before 30 or 31, just mm. based on the bigger picture. 
So this idea that you can always do it later, if anything COVID's taught us, do not wait. If you feel you need to do X or Y, how do you start doing it now? Because there may not be a tomorrow the way that we've imagined it. Everything's up for grabs in this new world that we're living in. Exactly, Eva. I don't know if it's published yet, but I know you've been writing on leading in change as a constructive disruptor. Yes, we (laughs) know the disruption. What can we take away from that on how to really lead well in a time of a lot of change and disruption? The basic spike will be this idea of technology and human ingenuity. We have ability to be predictive. Back to the idea of this data has given us a chance to really bring science. And it's a once in a lifetime opportunity to not just be courageous because we think or know, we now have the ability to bring others with us with data. I've been a tempered radical or a pioneer in getting women on boards and launching skills for America's future on being a woman in technology on numerous new boards, and they've all gone well. If I could give that gift to everyone else, it's not just showing up, it's actually showing up and adding value that couldn't be added any other way, but driving change. And that's the message. It's constructive disruption. It's not disruption for disruption. It's not argumentative. It is literally, what if I could take you places that you couldn't go without us being together and then demonstrate that, make it happen and show the value. That's brilliant. Thank you, Eva. A couple of quick ones. Favorite book, Eva? My favorite book is Ruth Bader Ginsburg, In My Own Words. It's the one-year anniversary of her passing, and she is a Cornellian, and I do admire her for her courage. Awesome. That was very quick. So that was very clear. That's an awesome book. I've not read it yet. Oh my gosh. I just. Oh, you have it right there. (laughs) That's really. And I bought it for friends. No matter what your leanings are, the revolution of constructive disruption that Ruth Bader Ginsburg led uh, is a textbook on change. Thank you for that. And clearly, you've done so much traveling as you think about all the places you've been. Favorite place? Back to Hawaii. I know that sounds like a trite answer, but I've seen our family's greatest joy there Mm -hmm. and seeing Hawaii in the eyes of my daughter and friends that have seen it for the first time and growing up in Boston, spending winters in Ithaca and being half Canadian. My happy place is Maui, Hawaii. How about somewhere you still would love to go? Australia, Mary. I have (laughs) been scheduled to Australia and New Zealand many times, and we know travel's been very disrupted. It's still on my list, and when I get there, I'll send you a picture. Same. I've never been. If you could meet a leader, whether you've met them before or not, whether they're living or not, who might you love to meet? There's so many good choices. I I can never just pick one. I'd love to go back and look at prophecy, Socrates, the Greek philosophers. I think as we face things we've never faced before, the wisdom of the ages, the simple truths, and the Mm. essence of being human, I wouldn't have given you that answer a year ago or 18 Mm. months ago, Mary. What will we leave as a legacy? What will endure for generations we can't imagine from now? And are there ways to capture that wisdom and these breakthroughs that others will remember the period of the global pandemic, 2020 and beyond, and that this generation, all of us, multi-generational family, 
gave something that was as profound as what we've learned from the philosophers. It's about the essence of being human. How about a final love your thoughts on a piece of career advice, something that may have guided you or just has stayed with you throughout your career that you'd share with us? Courage. We talked about the diversity of my experience. It was really, really high risk. And many have said to me, why would you think you could do cross-industry? Why would you think you could run a multi-billion dollar business very late in your career? Well, what do I have to lose? What could I bring that might shape the outcomes differently? And what if I fail? Working your way through, how bad would that really be compared to the courage to try? I see people on the eve of tough calls, big choices. What do you have to lose? So if you fail, you learn. You have an experience that you'll always remember. And if you succeed, you'll grow. Courage to try and be open to the humility of learning from failure. You clearly have had that courage, that risk-taking, that go-for-it approach that has allowed you to have such an amazing experience. Thank you so much for your openness. You've shared such richness with us. And if there was one word from the beginning of our conversation to now that sits with me is inspiring. This has been really inspiring. Thank you so, so much. Mary, I can't thank you enough. When I look back at that lifelong learning, the lessons of experience of the tough calls are the things I cherish most. And so you've opened this channel for all of us to be able to give the gift of that experience. And for some, it'll be highly relevant for others, maybe five years from now, you'll remember. I would just say to anyone listening, you're not alone. We all seek to serve each other. All we have is each other. So thank you for creating these channels. And it's been an honor and a privilege. I've loved it. Thank you, Eva. For more resources on this topic, visit us on modern-career.com and on social media at modern underscore career. We'll include all the sources noted in this episode in our show notes. Look forward to talking again very soon. Mm -hmm.